If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Hebrews. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. 800 years ago, Francis of Assisi yielded the reins of leadership from the Franciscan order he had founded. However, he'd hoped, he'd hoped that the people of that order would continue to follow his selfless example. But his hopes were soon dashed. The order swiftly moved in a different direction. So Francis once climbed on top of a new building. He thought the order had built in violation of its vow of poverty. And he began to pry off the tiles from the roof. Throwing them to the ground. Raining down judgments upon the group who opposed his original ideas that founded that order. Now we see why Francis has been called an inconvenient elder. He said, man, this guy's wild. He's inconvenient. An inconvenient elder is a phrase used to describe the person who starts a revolution and then once it succeeds, becomes an inconvenience to the next generation. Of course, the next generation honors him. They have to. But they really wish you would go away so they can do whatever they want to do. My message is not about an inconvenient elder today. But my message is to show us that God often demands inconvenience in an age that thrives on convenience. As the author of Hebrews prepares to complete his letter, the author delivers a series of exhortations to empower his readers to keep going and pursue Christian maturity. This is what he said in Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 10. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What he's saying here is there should be leaders that practice what they preach. There's a lot of people that preach, but they don't practice what they preach. He said, if you find a leader that practices what they preach, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It doesn't say imitate them. It says their faith. That's a problem when you got people dressing like you, but they don't worship like you. It's a problem. It's got a problem when people want to look a certain way, but they don't want, they don't want the altar of that leader or the inconvenience of that leader that it costs to get them to the place that, it, that they are. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. How many is glad for that? Never changes. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Watch this, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The writer is pointing out that the priest 
in the tabernacle served at an altar. Yet we have a better altar than the priests had of the Old Testament. You know what our altar is? Jesus Christ who nourishes us with grace every day that we show up in his presence. Does anybody know what grace is? It's, it's the unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners. And the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. In other words, grace isn't just for salvation. It's for everyday sanctification. I go into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I lay my sin down and I pick up his grace. And I tell him, I don't want to be who I was yesterday. I want to be better today. It's going to be inconvenient. I'm going to have to let go of some things. But I want this altar of inconvenience in my life. Because I want your grace above my sin. I want your grace above my convenience. I want your grace above anything in my life. So I'm going to teach this morning. I'm, I don't know how much I'm going to preach. I may scream a little bit. But I'm going to teach. Is that okay this morning? I've got a word from God and I want to teach on this topic. An altar of inconvenience. An altar of inconvenience. God, I come boldly before your throne. I ask you to anoint the word in, the, your word in my hands, God. Help me to speak your word. Not my words, but your word, God. Let it be done with a pure heart. Let me be in alignment with what you want to say in this place. I pray that you anoint these great people. Bless them, God. Let us leave here today understanding there has to be an altar of inconvenience in our everyday life. I pray for every person here in the name that's above every other name. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And before you're seated, give somebody a high five. Say it is good to see you in the house of the Lord today. You may be seated. A few years ago, USA Today conducted a survey, and they asked Americans in the top 1% income bracket how much they would be willing to spend on three intangible items, great intellect, true love, and a place in heaven. They found that the super wealthy, which obviously I'm not a part of today. I don't know if you're a part of that, but I'm not a part of it. But the super wealthy would be willing to spend an average of $407,000 for great intellect. $487,000 for true love. And $640,000 for a place in heaven. I found it interesting that they would spend the most amount of their money on heaven over intellect and love. So let me ask you a question this morning. How much would you be willing to pay for these items? How much would you pay to be smart, to have true love, or to have a place in heaven? What do we prioritize more than anything else in our life? Because if it's not heaven, what is it? Of course, most of us realize that we really can't buy those things. You might be able to buy a good education, but you can't purchase intelligence. You might find someone who'd give you affection for a price. Hopefully that's not your spouse. But that's not true love. And the Bible repeatedly tells us wealth can do many things, but it cannot buy us a place in heaven. However, I've got great news. Look at your neighbor and say, he's got good news. 
got good news. You can't buy you a place in heaven, but we can inherit it through obedience to the plan of salvation detailed in this book. Come on, the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I'm glad today that we've got a gospel. But I need us to understand, even though we can't buy it with money, it will cost us something. In order to make this journey and eventually hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, it will cost us something. The path to rebirth to which God calls us does not leave room for personal comfort and easy performance. It never has. Matthew 3 and 11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is what John the Baptist said. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's nothing convenient about fire. You know what fire does? It consumes it purifies. He said, the one that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark 16, 16 through 17. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. That's not convenient. You know what that tells me? That there is some things in my life that I've got to take authority over or they're going to pull me down spiritually and I may not continue the journey. There's some things you've got to open the door to your home and say, you don't belong here anymore. I'm tired of feeling the host of wickedness. You've got to go. Some things you've got to deal with spiritually. If you don't believe in the spiritual realm, I pray, I pray that you open your spiritual eyes. There's an enemy that is after our soul. That's why it's called a spiritual host of wickedness. What we host, what we entertain, what we bring into our life, if we don't address it and deal with it, eventually it's going to bring death. Preacher, you lost your mind. I really have. I really have. Because I'm tired of looking at people that are always oppressed by the very thing they're allowing to have access to their lives. Get rid of it. It may be inconvenient. You may have been raised around it. And you may say, if I let it go, my life won't be the same. Let me ask you, what are you willing to pay to make this journey? What are you willing to let go of to make this? If heaven is my priority, if I don't want to die lost, am I willing to just let go of some things that may pull me down? Watch this. It doesn't stop there. It says they will speak. Put that scripture back up there if you would. They will speak in new tongues. This was confirmation of what was getting ready to happen in the book of Acts. And then we find that Simon Peter used this phrase when recounting what took place when the gospel was received by the Gentiles. You remember Cornelius was a good man. He gave alms, but God had more for his life. And it would inconvenience him. So he sent Simon Peter to give the Gentiles the word and the gospel. And watch what he says, Acts eleven fifteen 15 through 16. As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. You, you get what it's saying? There was a manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit that fell on them. They didn't come and go through the one, two, three and leave just the way that they came. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me that is going to... 
baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Watch this. Fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Simon Peter said it fell on them just like it fell on us in Acts 2 in the upper room. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the, the Holy Spirit. The disciples could never have taken the gospel to the ends of the earth and turned the Roman Empire upside down without the Holy Spirit's empowering them. That's why, that's why they were to wait until they received power from on high. And now here we are in a culture today where so many of Jesus' followers have come through Calvary but have neglected the power of Pentecost that John the Baptist pointed us toward. And Apostle Paul gave us this revelation, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. For in one spirit, one spirit, we were all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What is that spirit? It's that spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost that operated throughout the whole book of Acts, that empowered Paul to write epistles. That, that same spirit is what we drink of today. Listen, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit wasn't a one-hit wonder wasn't something that just happened one time, and now, and now we don't need it. Can I, can I be honest? We don't need less of that Spirit in 2023. We need more of the Holy Spirit to inconvenience us, to inconvenience our church services in 2023. It has been said that if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do, we could still do, and no one would know the difference. That's a travesty to have the word that we have that tells us about the inconveniencing of the Holy Spirit interrupting our services, interrupting our daily lives, empowering us from on high. But yet we shut it down. Man, I don't want to be inconvenienced. Because if, if I tap into the Holy Spirit, that means I've got to push through my logic I've got, to, I've got to push through what convenience me. And listen, hear me today. I, I'm probably, I, I would say I'm pretty logical. I'm a pretty logical person. I'm not out there. I'm not one of these people that are just out there. You know what I'm talking about? You, you got people, they get spiritual. They just get out there. They out there. And you try to reel them in and say, hey, come back to reality. They're not coming back to reality. They, they, they live out there. I'm pretty logical. But can I be honest today? We should be so reliant on the Holy Ghost that were the Holy Spirit to leave, we would instantly feel like an astronaut without oxygen, without an oxygen supply. We couldn't operate. We couldn't breathe. We couldn't function. If the Holy Spirit isn't here and lives aren't being changed and conviction isn't operating and the gifts aren't flowing and people can leave the same way that they came, we need to look in the mirror and say, what are we doing as a church? What are we doing as a believer? What are we doing? Charles Spurgeon said this. If there were only one prayer which I might pray before I die, it should be this, Lord, send to your church people filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he goes on to say that the church is weak today because the Holy Spirit is not upon our members as we should desire him to be. 
He said, you and I are tottering along like feeble babes, whereas had we more of the Spirit, we might walk without feigning, run without weariness, and even mount up with wings as eagles. How do we do it, preacher? If we want the Holy Spirit, how do we, how do we make room for it? Here it is. You ready? An altar of inconvenience. Because when you go back and you read the book of Acts, and I I pray that you will, I pray that you'll read the book of Acts and you'll study exactly how the Holy Spirit worked through that book and what he wants to do today. The book of Acts did not end with an amen. It ended with a to be continued. We should be flowing in that same power today. So how how do we operate? How do we have an altar of inconvenience? Here it is. Want it so bad to operate in our life. That you make it a point to allow it to inconvenience you no matter where you're at or what you're doing. Watch this. You will notice that the early New Testament church, what did they do? When the Holy Spirit fell, the Bible says they tarried. They waited. They prayed. You know what tarried means? It means they lingered. They waited on God, and this phenomenon of waiting is growing stranger in certain circles. Nobody wants to wait on the Holy Spirit to operate. People don't know how to wait on God because they they don't want to be inconvenienced. It's got to be now. It's got to be fast because we live under the tyranny of the urgent and the rapid hustle and bustle of life. We've been raised around push button and automatic machines so long. That now we've been trying to apply machine age methods to our relationship with God. We read our chapter a day. We do our short devotions and we rush away without digging beneath the surface of convenience. We have things to do and places to go and people to meet. Who cares that the same Holy Spirit that resurrected Christ wants to visit us today? Who cares that the same spirit which operated in the book of Acts wants wants us to abide in it? And then we get mad at the Holy Spirit for not doing what we think it should do and operating like we think it should operate. Listen, I walked out of services and been like, man, we didn't have no move of God today. When I needed to be looking in a mirror and say, did you tarry long enough to have a move of God? How bad did you want God to move in your life? Because the enemy's got wiles and snares and he's trying, to, he's trying to trip you up every day. Have you got past your convenience enough to tap in and dig deep to make sure your foundation is sturdy? Because please hear me this morning. Every revival begins because somebody lingered in his presence. God is bound by his word and it says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. I read this. I don't know your opinion on it, and I've got my opinions, and I won't get into all that today. But I read this this week about the Asbury Revival, and it stirred me to the core. This is what it said. A Christian service at a college chapel in Kentucky has ballooned into a nonstop prayer and worship session. And people traveled thousands of miles to take part in it after seeing viral videos on TikTok. Thank the Lord somebody's using TikTok for good. I was against TikTok, but if we can have revival with it, get TikTok out. Let's tick, tickety tock, tock to tock. I'm just playing. Leave your TikTok put up till we get our service. And it says this, that the growing event started as a routine chapel service at Asbury University, a small Christian college in Wilmore, Kentucky, according to university employees. 
at the tail end of the meeting, a couple dozen lingering students. You got that? They lingered, assembled informally in gathering, in a gathering that's been going now for seven days when this article was written straight for 24 hours a day. And this is what, this is what it said. The setup is simple. There's no projector screens or high-tech integrations. There's just a wooden sanctuary, wooden sanctuary chairs filled with people and an open altar call with an invitation to pray and to linger in the presence of God. It was as if the campus had been suddenly invaded by another power. Classes were forgotten. Academic work came to a standstill. And it was awesome to behold because God had taken over that campus. Could it be that we're not waiting on God? Could it be that God is just waiting on somebody that will linger? Somebody that will say, I can't make it a day without your presence abiding in my life. I'm just going to linger here. When his agenda inconvenience our schedules, there will be an outpouring. But you hear me today, and I want you to get this. We've got to silence the spirit of Jeroboam. You remember this king of Israel? When Israel and Judah split, he grew concerned that the people of Israel would return three times a year to the altar in Jerusalem. And in doing so, they would return from him and be reconciled to Rehoboam of Judah. So he fashioned, fashioned two golden calves and placed them in convenient locations where they were easily accessible. He said, it is too much for you to make the journey to Jerusalem to pray on that altar that was established. It's too much for you to make that journey. It's too inconvenient for you to go to that altar. Stay here. Have it your way. Look, we'll take them Egyptian golden calves and we'll bring it into our culture and we'll call it like Brother William said, Jehovah. The altar at Jerusalem was meant to be inconvenient and it carried significant value. Remember this, it is said that when, anybody remember when David said, I will lift my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help? They say that he was referring to Jerusalem, where that altar was, the city of God. And it was at Jerusalem that David built an altar on the threshing floor of Ornan, where the temple of Solomon would eventually be built. And when it was inaugurated, it said that the presence of God filled the temple of Solomon as they began to sing. Jerusalem had prolific meaning. And even when you get to the New Testament, you don't know how important Jerusalem is? Jesus Christ said, don't leave Jerusalem till you be empowered from on high. Jerusalem means inconvenience. Jerusalem, it also represents the presence of God. And the spirit of Jeroboam doesn't want you making the journey to Jerusalem. He wants you to go through Calvary and stop. He doesn't want you, this spirit doesn't want you going to a place to where you're inconvenienced because you want the presence of God to fall on your life. So Jeroboam took Jerusalem away from the people and he made their devotion convenient. But watch what happens. One of Jeroboam's calves were placed in Dan, which was originally Laish, located far out of the way. And when 600 Danites set out for Laish, on the way they came by a man by the name of Micah's house. This is during a time where everyone was doing right in their own eyes, turning their back on God. And Micah met a Levite man while all this was going on. And he, asked, he told that Levi, Levite man, he said, why don't you come dwell in my house? Stay at my house and be my personal priest. Listen, if you got to hire a personal priest to tell you what you want to hear, you in trouble. Micah said, I want you to come tell me what, what I want to hear. Come, come live in my house. So when, when the Danites went there and they passed by, 
by Micah's house. This is what they found. The scout said, did you not know there's an ephod in Micah's house? Do you know there's household gods and a carved image and a silver idol in these houses? And Michael and his mother, you, you got to know the backstory. They believed themselves to be right with God, but they had so incorporated worldly practices that they did not see the contradiction of having graven images in their house. They assumed the Lord was pleased with their actions and would bless them for having a Levite as a priest over their false religion. And the Danites, when they got there, they should have said, Micah, you're out of order. You've got idols in your home. But you say you belong to God. And Danites should have destroyed those idols and drove them out. Drove the idol worshipers out. But given how spiritually dark Israel had become, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what they, what they planned to do. The Danites took the carved image, the ephod, and the household idols and the silver idol. and They took it. And concern, the concerned priest said, what are you, where are you going with our idols? What are you doing? The day and night said, shut your mouth. You're going to come with us. Come with us and be our priest. He agreed in Judges 18, 27 through 28 says that they went to a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire for there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. And once they took that place over, they set the idols up for the city that were worshipped until Israel was taken captive. Watch this. Isolation allowed Dan's idols to stay unchecked and made it a comfortable, quiet place to put a golden calf. Can I give you a little bit of instruction today? The best thing that you can do in your life is get people you love. I'm not talking about people that cast judgment on you. Listen, there are some people that will throw stones at your life because they don't want you focusing on what they got going on in their life. So they'll make all kind of racket over here so you won't look over here. I'm talking about people you know the heart of and that you love. People that can step into your life and say, look, you've got some unchecked things in your life that you need to give to God. Because Jeroboam wants to put a golden calf there. And Jeroboam wants to take your, 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 your altar away that means so much to you. The spirit of Jeroboam wants to work and make sure that it's unchecked and it's comfortable and nobody ever stirs the nest. Can I tell you that an eaglet can't fly unless the mother stirs the nest? You've got to allow the Holy Spirit every once in a while, if you're going to fly, to stir the nest that you're in. If it gets comfortable, you've got to let God stir it up so that you can soar to the level that he has for your life listen the other the other calf was located in Bethel and Bethel was the place that God spoke to Jacob and showed him the vision of the ladder and he built an altar you remember that ladder those angels were going up and down on that ladder and it was there he built an altar and he named it El Bethel which means the house of God however Hosea repeatedly referred to it as Beth Avon a derogatory name meaning house of wickedness what was one time the house of God had now become a house of wickedness. The location didn't change. It was still the same city with the same natural environment and resources. But it was what they allowed in and what they celebrated that made it wicked. We need to be inconvenienced today. We need people who can say, you know what, don't bring that into your life. It will destroy you. Uh, we need to make sure that we've got people saying, don't host that. Because the house of God will be called the house of wickedness. 
I'm telling you, the house of God, the place where God's spirit once resided and lives were changed. If you allow that in, it will destroy. There will be a host of wickedness and it will destroy the altar. The spirit, the spirit of Jeroboam is at work today. And it's creating the common mantra of our age. Here it is, do what feels good. Relevance, they say, is more important than reaching for God. The momentary is more crucial than the eternal. Convictions are less important than fitting in. And it's bred a generation that is growing increasingly secular. But do you know that even secularists have convictions? Convictions that govern secularists. In, in his book, The New Absolutes, William Watkins identifies core convictions that govern, governs today's seculars. You know what it says? Religion interferes with freedom and must be banished from the public square. Human life is valuable only as long as it's wanted. Marriage is a human contract made between any two people and can be terminated for any reason. And we wonder why divorce is at all-time high. Family, you know what a family is defined, of, defined as during this According to this, these secular activists, family is any grouping of two or more people. And watch this. All forms of sexual activity are moral as long as they occur between consenting adults. And here the church is depleting convictions instead of embracing them while the world is shoving their convictions down our throat. Trying to tell us what we should believe and what defines a family and what we are allowed to do. No, they don't tell me what I'm allowed to do. This book says right here what I'm allowed to do. It defines what a family is. And you know what, young people? It tells me to save myself from marriage. It's not okay. It's not okay. And I've got to tell Jeroboam, you're not going to make this convenient. It's going to cost me something in my life. Listen, if we don't reclaim, if we don't reclaim this altar of inconvenience, the spirit of ancient error will reclaim us. Some of you are familiar with the Great Wall of China. This wall and its branches once stretched anywhere from an estimated 5,000 to 13,000 miles. A staggering effort to fortify and protect the civilization from outside influence. But here's a picture I want you to see, and I don't know if you've ever seen it. You've probably not seen this of the Great Wall of China. It's a remnant of this Great Wall. Man did not conquer it. Beast did not destroy it. But blowing sand gradually eroded. Sandstorms has obliterated the wall. And last day winds are blowing across this earth right now. And precious things are being taken from our grasp. The love of many is waxing cold. And I'm afraid today... I'm afraid today that we've done people an injustice by making following Jesus as just as appealing and comfortable and convenient as it possibly can be. Kyle Eidelman said the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not so close that it's going to require something of them. 
In other words, many are happy to follow Jesus as long as that doesn't require any significant changes or have any negative implications to their life. You see, too many, the altar of inconvenience is no longer needed. It's antiquated. But I will remind you that we all need a daily altar of inconvenience. A time where we shut down everything. We pray, we read, we seek his face, and we give him complete control over every aspect of our life. Because I'm convinced that it was never the size of the crowd that Jesus cared about. It was always their level of commitment that he was concerned for. And Apostle Paul writes this about Christ's lordship and our response to being a follower of Christ, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What Paul is saying is we are to honor God in our decisions regardless of the call so that he might be glorified. In fact, Paul said God brings circumstances and inconveniences in your life that will require you to work out your own salvation. How many has been there? Things you didn't ask for, they just showed up and you're like, man, why am I being inconvenienced? Maybe God brought that to you to get you to an altar to start working out your salvation. gain increasingly reverence for God and to choose his will over my own and this allows us to have ever increasing and ever increasing experience of his saving work and kingdom person, purpose in and through us Philippians 2 14 through 18 do all things without grumbling or disputing grumbling refers to any negative emotional response of something you don't like and I am guilty God I don't like that at all God why just why and then he's like I'm God, who are you? Well, I'm Josh, but I want to know why. Well, you shouldn't talk to God like that. No, he, we got a reason together sometimes. God, come on down. Let's have a conversation. Tell me what's going on. But he says, he says, you ought to have an altar of inconvenience that when you feel that way, that you go to a place of prayer and you don't go tell everybody how mad you are about the situation or the circumstances. No, you go to God and you get at this altar of inconvenience and you deal with what's going on in your life. I don't want to grumble. We all know what arguing is, do we? Look at your spouse and say, I know you do. Grumbling and arguing both hinder obedience. If we want to see God at work, we shouldn't waste our time grumbling and arguing about his will. We've got to submit to it. Verses 15 through 18. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of, G of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain and, or labor in vain. Even I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I've got it. I've, my life has got to be poured out on the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is proof. That God will take us through a developmental process so that even though things are dark around us, we shine. 
He's not telling us to become light. Rather, if God is in us, we are light. We are to be unhindered light. No matter what goes on in our life, I'm going to shine. No matter what transpires, I'm going to shine. No matter how bitter or hurt I am, I'm going to shine because I've got to reflect the perspective that God wants me. Let's be honest. The idea of surrendering our will to a higher will goes against our human nature. The great author G.K. Charleston once said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. The truth is Christianity has been found difficult and not tried. What did he mean by that? He meant that following Jesus isn't always easy because God inconveniences all who follow him. And I know what you're thinking. Why are you preaching this? I can tell you. Because I read the words of Jesus and it stirs me to my core. He defined a true disciple as this. Luke 9 and 23. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That sounds like an altar of inconvenience. How many of us really know what that is? How many of us really do that self-denial in our society? Are you kidding me? I mean, this is about self-indulgence and gratification in our culture. And he says that you've got to lay all that down. You've got to deny yourself. Listen, you can't always answer your critics. Because sometimes what your critics is saying is the truth. And you need to take it and take it to an altar of inconvenience and deal with it. My critics aren't my enemy. They may be the people that God's trying to use to wake me up and get my attention. Are they always right? Absolutely not. But I can't be so self imposed with my own way of thinking that I don't listen to what somebody else is saying because the next scripture says you got to take up your cross you can't nail yourself to a cross somebody else has to put you there so that means every day every day I've got to go to an altar I've got to deal with Josh and then I've got to listen to what people are saying and I can't get mad and I can't go give a scripture on Facebook on why they shouldn't say that. Sometimes I need to shut up and I need to get in the presence of God and I need to say, what are you teaching me at this altar of inconvenience? What are you trying to teach me? Where are you trying to lead me? Simply put, there's no way to follow Jesus without him interfering with your life. Therefore, following Jesus will cost you something. It's a 24-hour day of a 24-hour-a-day commitment that will interfere with your life. That's not the small print. It's a guarantee and will cost you time, talent, and treasure. And I'm almost done. I'm not going to finish this today. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to let God inconvenience the plans on your calendar? Or are we too busy to be used by Him? What about our comfort? As it pertains to the inconvenience of evangelizing or discipling others, how busy are we? That every time somebody reaches out for us to evangelize or disciple, we're just too busy to reach back. Listen, what about a sin that we may need to confess? Can, can, can I give you a, go a step further? Jesus often taught this way. He says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. He says, if your hand offends you or if it reaches for something that it shouldn't reach for, cut it off. Now, he's not talking about physically plucking out your eye. He's not talking about physically cutting off your hand. Or cutting off your arm. You know, you know how I know that? Because there would be a lot of one-eyed people in this building right now. Including the man with the microphone. Listen, we would be in for a world of hurt. Do you know what he's saying? 
If your eyes are deceiving you and pulling you away from my will, find you an altar of inconvenience and deal with it. If you're reaching for things you shouldn't be reaching for, get you an altar of inconvenience and deal with it and say, I'm not reaching for that anymore. Your will is more important. Can I go a step further? And this will be later on. Musicians, you can get ready. Can I go a step further? There's some places you can't go. Not because they're not a sin, but because they'll trigger something in you. That old man that's always knocking on that door, that always wants to pop back up. The flesh is enmity with God. It's at war with our spirit. And that old man is always, the old man that you buried, he's always waiting. That's why, that's why when they got ready, they got in the wilderness and God started giving them a new covenant and walls. He said, look, you're going to make this tabernacle. He said, and the first thing you're going to encounter told the priest before you go into my presence is an altar of sacrifice. He said, because there's some things that need to be laid on the altar before you make it to the presence of Jehovah. And there are some places that you can't go. Is it a sin? Absolutely not. But you know if you go there, it's going to trigger something in you that's going to take you back down the path that God already has pulled you out of. Watch. There's some people, you love everybody. I'm telling you, if you go to this church, you got to love everybody. Everybody. I got Preacher, you mean i got to love them? you got to love them. But there are some people that you can't fellowship with. Because you know that if you start hanging around them, the enemy's going to put a snare, and there's going to be a knock at your door, and that old man's going to say, hey, I know you thought you buried me, but I'm back from outer space. You can live for God for 15 years and think that, that you buried that long, long time ago. And there is something that you'll get involved in that will trigger an emotion that will take you right back. And what you had dominion over for 15 years is now screaming in your ear and knocking on your door. Oh, I know I, I, the religious, I hear what you're saying. You preach to them, pastor. No, it, it, the religious will do it too. God will show you what love and mercy and grace is. And he'll show you that everybody is not on the same walk of life. We're all making our own journey between us and Christ. But I've seen people get so caught up in what people are telling them about religion that they'll start going against what the Spirit is putting in them about bearing fruit of the Spirit. That way they can be right in the eyes can I tell you something? I want to free you of something. You don't need to defend anybody what God's to anybody what God's doing at the river. God's called the river to be the river. And we are doing our very best to, bring, to present a bride to Christ when he comes back. We don't have to fight battle. I don't care what the church down the road is doing. I'm praying for them. God bless them. I don't care what this church down the road is doing over here. You know what I care about? What is the Holy Spirit telling us to do right here at 11005 Highway 442, Tickball, Louisiana? I don't care. Well, preacher, they think you're a liberal. Well, preacher, they think you're a conservative doesn't matter because one day I'm going to stand by that judgment throne 
And I'm going to look a Savior face to face and I'm going to tell him I did the best I could to present a bride to you. And I didn't do it according to my will or my way. I didn't control people. I didn't manipulate people. I preached the word of God. And I told them we've got to have an altar of inconvenience in our life. I told them we got to do the best we can do. we got to work out our salvation with reverence and trembling. I'm on page 24, page 48. But listen, I've got to give you this. This is where I'm going today. And I'll get back into Hebrews. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, why why are you so fired up today? I can tell you. Because it keeps me up at night. It keeps me up at night. It's a weight that anybody doing this, this thing called pastoring or ministry with a pure heart should feel. When I imagine standing by that judgment throne. And the people that God trusted me not to manipulate, not to coerce, not to tell them bow down to Josh Payne. No, the people that he entrusted me to give them the word are going to walk by that judgment throne. And he's going to look at me and say, can you give an account? God, they did the best they could do. That's why it says work out my salvation. Listen, don't make my salvation about you. Jesus said these words, and this is why I'm preaching this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. You put that scripture up there, please. Matthew 7. I want them to see this scripture. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. You see that? What does it say? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The elders, you say it like this. It's easy to live for God hard, but it's hard to live for God easy. And watch what it says. And those who find it are few. Now, I will tell you this. God's math is not my math. I mean, he multiplied fish and loaves. He can take one day and make it like a thousand years. So I don't know what few is. I can't tell you what that number is. But I can tell you this. You ready for this Albany education? Few is less than many. many people that take the wrong road and only few find the narrow path if that is true then wouldn't it make sense for us to slow down pull over on side of the road called life and make sure that we're going the right direction I'm just wondering is it possible that we think we're on the narrow road but we're actually on the broad road could it be that we 
have set cruise control, turned up the Christian radio. We've got the Jesus fish on our bumper sticker, and we're still on the road to destruction. Donald Whitney once said, if a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it really doesn't matter what he or she is actually right about. And Jesus continues to all my Bible thumpers. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? not do many mighty works in your name and then will I declare to them I never knew you you never had an altar of inconvenience you never really told me what you were feeling there were some things that you were, weren't willing to let go of because I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness now, it wouldn't surprise me if Jesus said a few will stand before God on Judgment Day convinced that everything is fine only to find out otherwise. But he doesn't say a few. He doesn't say some. He says many. And I'll close with this. It's not about spiritual gifts. It's not. It's not about spiritual gifts. It's about motives and priorities. There are a lot of people that I know. Oh, they, they, they demon executioners. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people I know, boy, they can kick into speaking in tongues. When we get to heaven... He's going to say, did I know you? Now, preacher, don't leave me with that. And I won't. And I know I'm going a little bit long. And I know what you're thinking. Don't leave that on me. And I'm not. Because I can't decide if you have altar of inconvenience. You have to. But I know what you're thinking. How do I make sure that my priorities and my motives are in the right way? Here it is. Jesus said, you'll recognize them by the fruit they bear. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And here it is. Make no mistake about it. Fruit always bears the character of the tree that produces it. It always. But Kyle, I can't practice self-control unless I've been at an altar of inconvenience. I can't. I can't. I can't practice gentleness unless I've been at an altar. Listen, there are some things that's, that, that some of us here we're holding on to so deeply. And the reason he talked about fruit is there's some things you've got to dig up because if you don't dig up, your fruit's going to be bitter to other people. But if I'm digging deep, if I'm making sure, I've got to make sure that, I've got to make sure that the weeds aren't choking out fruit in my life. I've got, 
I've got to make sure that the ground's good. I've got to till the ground. And this is every day. Every day I've got to kneel down. And I've got to say, God, there's got to be an altar of inconvenience today. Listen, there are some days I start my day and I get to running. God is saying, have, have you taken time? Well, God, I just I got, I got to get this done. I got to get that done. I got to go here. And then all of a sudden I start realizing somebody will text me and I'll get mad. I got 500 people to deal with. And why are they texting me this right now? And I'm like, Josh, have you been by your altar of inconvenience today? Because if you've been by there, you're not going to respond that way. You're not going to act that way because you're connected. You're connected. Listen, I want to make heaven, but I also want to bear good fruit. not a perfect vessel but I've learned there's some things I've got to be willing to lay on an altar and listen hear me today if you, if you, if you get an altar and you start laying some things on that altar and, and they don't go away over, overnight can I give you some revelation don't stop visiting that altar every day get back up I told somebody this the other day they called me and they said, they said pastor that snare that once had me has came back up in my life and you know what I told them well, I'm going to give you the definition of a righteous man. One that can fall down, but they always get back up. There's got to be an altar in my life. I want every eye closed. What we do here is inconvenient. We linger. Listen, I know we don't do altar calls like a lot of places, but it's, the, it's what God has called us to do at the river. We do believe the Holy Spirit can help change people's lives. We do baptize in that name that's above every other name. More than anything, we linger in the presence of God because we want Him to know we need Him. Can I ask everybody a question with every eye closed, nobody looking around? How many wants more of him? Will you raise your hand? How many will say there's some things in your life that the enemy is trying to, to plant deception? He's trying to set you off course. That old man's been lying. I don't want you to raise your hand right here, but you just think about it. That old man that you thought you had under control has been loud lately. God has sent me for, with a word for you today. Would you be willing to build an altar? Now, I'm not talking about a physical altar. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about a geographical altar. I'm talking about a spiritual altar where you deal with some things in your life that is trying to offset you. I really feel this. We're going down to the river, down. 